This is Air in Pain, a programme brought to you by Pain Concerned, the UK charity providing information and support for those of us living with pain and for healthcare professionals. I'm Paul Evans, and this edition is funded by a grant from the Shoe Trust. In March 2017, the UK Gout Society joined forces with parliamentarians, doctors and other charities to help raise awareness of gout, the most common form of inflammatory arthritis, which affects one in 40 people in the UK. The event was held at the House of Commons and was hosted by Jim Shannon, MP for Strangford, Northern Ireland, and DUP spokesman for health, to launch the Shout About Gout campaign. Gout, or rather those who suffer gout, have been the butt of jokes, cartoons and caricatures for years. So the launch of Shout About Gout came under the headline, Gout, No Laughing Matter. So today's event is to get rid of some of those cartoons, some of those caricatures that we have in the past. You know the one where, where King Henry VIII is lying in a chair about seven stone bigger than he should be, with bunions on his feet the size of, of, of turnips? With the Stilton and the port just close by, well, that's the perception that some people have. It's time that we put the facts on the table. It's time we told people about, about what it's really about. We also want to raise awareness because it's time that we did so in relation to Parliament and the members and how government and within the NHS looks at how we can best address the issues, making the... Um, resources available, raising the awareness that that's important. It's uh, quite uh, an honour to be a sponsor. There's nothing quite, I believe, as salubrious as the House of Commons as a place to come and have an event. And at this stage, I'm going to ask someone with much more knowledge than me, Professor George Nicky, he's going to come along and, and tell us some of the facts of the matter, and I want to hear it as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Jim, particularly for hosting this event. I'd like to thank everybody on behalf of the UK Gout Society for coming today. Gout really isn't a laughing matter. It's not a laughing matter for patients, but it's also not a laughing matter at the moment for the government either. So what is gout? Well, gout is a relatively simple condition, really. It's a crystal deposition disease. It's caused by crystals of uric acid forming in the tissues. And they form in the tissues when the levels of uric acid in the blood are too high. And it's caused by a combination of genetic determinants, but also by lifestyle issues. So that the epidemic that we have at the moment of obesity, which is associated with type 2 diabetes, but also with hypertension, with chronic renal disease as well, all these conditions are associated. And we've discovered in the very recent past, really, by modern imaging methods, that actually at the time that one gets one's first attack of acute crystal inflammation, one of the most painful experiences that people can have, really, that it is already an established chronic disease at that point that there are crystals in the tissues which are causing low-grade inflammation, which may be associated with the cardiovascular disease, the diabetes, the renal disease as well. The extraordinary thing is that we have known about it and how to treat it effectively for at least 50 years. And there are now new treatments as well which have 
made it possible even to treat people with more difficult cases of gout. But despite us being able to potentially cure it for all this length of time, it's increased in frequency. And the prevalence now is one in 40 people in the population. It's more common than rheumatoid arthritis, which most people think of as the archetypal chronic inflammatory rheumatic disease. And it causes a great deal of physical disability, but also loss of earnings. It has enormous economic consequences. And for the National Health Service, it has tremendous implications because whereas the admissions to hospital now with rheumatoid arthritis have gradually fallen with modern treatment, with gout, if not only has the frequency of the disease increased, but the number of people being seen in accident emergency, being admitted to hospital with gout is constantly increasing. And there's no reason for this. And we should really concentrate on treating the disease to a target level so that by getting the uric acid level in the blood down below the level at which crystals will form and at a level in the tissues when the crystals will dissolve again, you can actually potentially completely cure this disease. But we know at the moment that less than half the patients uh, being treated in primary care and general practice are actually receiving uric acid lowering treatment. And that in less than 10% of the patients are the uh, uric acid levels in the blood are actually being monitored at all. Now there's been a very recent study funded by the Arthritis Research UK, led by Professor Michael Doherty in, in Nottingham, where they've done a randomized controlled trial looking at some 500 patients with gout and comparing actually patients who are seen by nurses followed up by nurses with patients just receiving routine standard care as it is at the moment and showing that in those patients with the nurse-led treatment, they have actually managed to achieve the target that one is looking for in better than 90% of the patient compared with less than 50% in the people being given routine care at the moment. And that's been associated with better patient-reported outcomes, so less pain and so forth. There's going to be a health economic analysis as well, which will actually, I'm sure, highlight the differences. So gout really isn't a laughing matter for any of us. Thank you. My name is Paul Webber. I am here in the Houses of Parliament, Dining Room A, um, with the UK Gout Society, as I am a gout sufferer. My name is Alan Hughes, and I'm here for the same reason. You both have gout. What does that mean to you? It means when I get an attack, a lot of pain, and not necessarily being able to do all of the things that I would like to do when I don't have gout. What's the pain feel like? If you've ever played football and not worn shin pads and just had someone repeatedly kick you in the shin and you're unable to move, 
that's what the pain feels like. I'll go along with that, but uh, my way of describing it is um, take a red-hot poker out of the fire, stick that in the affected joint, and probably you'll have some pain relief. Now, you're both defying all the rumours about what gout is. You're both fairly young people. You're not the old, dodgy people in the cartoons. No, gout is, uh, has been laughed at over the years. You know, it's a rich man's um, disease. You know, too much rich living, too much red wine, too much port. You know, I, I find that not to be the case, you know, and I've proven it over the 15, 20 years that I've had it. I was told early on that uh, tomatoes is, uh, is a bit of a trigger for gout, you know. So I've stayed off tomatoes over the years and I've, I've proved that tomatoes, if I, if I eat tomatoes, which is in almost everything we eat, you know, um, it, it can trigger a, an attack. Does tomatoes do the same thing for you? Um, no, no, I was quite uh, interested and surprised to hear that. But I've never necessarily thought that my gout was associated with food. For me, I believe that my gout is, first of all, hereditary, um, so my grandfather had it, and also um, I think it's a little bit stress-related, so when I'm running around with work, trying to balance work with children, that sort of thing, uh, quite often I'll have an attack and I'll look back at the week I've just had and think, you know, probably um, I was a little bit crazy in terms of um, the commitments that I've made um, with just running a family and trying to do my job. My name's Dr. Tim Tate. I'm a rheumat consultant rheumatologist working in Sheffield. Gout is a, an inflammatory condition um, in its acute sense, but it also has a chronic phase. So the, the acute attacks are the things that people notice mostly, which is caused by a crystal forming within the joint that the body then reacts to. And an, an acute attack um, is incredibly painful, often starts in the foot but can affect any joint in the body usually lasts about 10 days to two weeks and then settles down of its own accord or with treatment. On the back of that, there's a chronic phase. And people who get acute attacks may get one or two a year, may get many, many more. But the damage comes from the repeated acute attacks and from the accumulation of the crystals within the joints and other tissues. And it's that that the, the treatment is aimed at lowering. So let me just go back. You say crystals form within the joints. Uric acid, what is uric acid and what has that got to do with gout? Well, uric acid is the product that's in the bloodstream and it's produced by breakdown of tissues or energy production within the, within the body and also by ingestion of its precursor, which are purines. The uric acid is then, after a certain amount is in the blood, you can't dissolve it and it spills over into the tissues where it forms a crystal called monosodium urate. And it's the crystal form that causes the acute attacks. What treatment is there? Well, there's treatment for the acute attack, which is um, painkillers, anti-inflammatories, steroids, colchicine, drugs like that. Drugs to reduce inflammation and get rid of the acute attack. There's then longer-term treatment to try and lower the level of the, of the uric acid in the bloodstream. And in doing so, if you lower it below the blood threshold, the, the crystals in the tissues will start to dissolve back into the bloodstream and eventually dissipate. And it's this longer-term treatment that is aimed at treating the gout itself. My name's Stuart Reid, and I'm a patient trustee of the UK Gout Society, which means 
I've got gout or I've had gout or I may get gout in the future. The week before I had gout, I had lots to eat that perhaps brought it on. We think steak, liver and bacon, lamb, curries, jelly deals and lashings of red wine and I like a drink. And three days later, I had a ferocious attack of gout that laid me up in bed for a week. I was on crutches for a week after that, and then I had a limp for a month. And so I said, right, no more. I've changed my lifestyle. I don't drink. I eat lots of fresh vegetables and fruit. I don't eat meats that might raise my uric acid levels. And uh, that's what I hope to continue. So it's the management of gout, the self-management of gout, that, that, that maybe patients have their own responsibilities to look after themselves as well, perhaps. I think you're right there, yes. I'd agree with that. My name is uh, Jonathan Rees, and I'm a consultant rheumatologist um, based at Adam Brooks in Cambridge. So rheumatologists are the consultants that treat gout and have the biggest interest for them, although, of course, it is often managed uh, more frequently in general practice as well. Gout is a huge problem and burden, but it's relatively simple to treat and you can make an incredible difference to people's lives very, very easily with simple treatments. Unfortunately, it hasn't got the profile that it deserves. If only there was a little bit more resource or a little more education of our colleagues in primary care, we could really manage this condition much more effectively, make a huge difference to many people's lives. If only we could all work together towards that goal, that would be a fantastic thing to do. So how do you bridge that gap? Gout is underdiagnosed. When it is diagnosed, it's undertreated. So I think the most important thing is working together, perhaps to produce new guidelines and to work with our colleagues in primary care to maybe help, just help them stop and think, is this gout? If it is gout, what's the best way that we can manage this and how can we really help uh, people and not just improve their gout, but really put them into complete remission? It's probably the most painful thing a guy can get and it's very easily treatable and it's very easy to improve those pain levels and there's nothing more satisfying in medicine than taking somebody out of pain. I'm Adrian Dunbar. I'm very recently retired, but I used to work in, in primary care as a musculoskeletal specialist, chronic pain specialist. Now, you were a GP, so you were working in primary care. You would have been the first port of call for somebody who's hurt his toe and needs help. So, what do you do with them? Well, you make the diagnosis, and that's not very difficult and you give them acute treatment, which is fairly straightforward. The important thing is you need to see them again. Acute treatment means you just attack the pain as it's happening now. Yeah, and you need to see the guy again within a few weeks to check that the symptoms are settling down, but also to start investigations and start long-term treatment if your diagnosis is confirmed. You mentioned earlier that it's a perfect condition for general practice. Absolutely. What do you mean by that? First of all, it's not difficult. It's not very high-tech. You know, it doesn't require much apart from blood tests and regular drug treatment. It's a relatively simple, safe, cheap drug in the first instance. It doesn't cause many adverse effects. A few people are allergic to it, but not very many. So there's no reason why GPs can't control the vast majority of patients with gout. It seems to me that even if you threw a lot of money at it, it doesn't need that money. It doesn't need a lot of money. It needs awareness 
in primary care there was this thing called the quality and outcomes framework which essentially told GPs what they needed to be doing and to, to get a disease taken seriously it should have gone in the quaff like high blood pressure high cholesterol yeah it's just the same kind of problem hyperuricemia should be treated like hypercholesterolemia it needs to be reduced I'm Sue Brown and I'm the Chief Executive of the Arthritis and Musculoskeletal Alliance, ARMA. So I'm here today because part of the role of ARMA is to make sure that we support all of our members in the work that they're doing. So it's brilliant that the UK Gout Society has this reception here to raise awareness of something that I think people know very little about. Certainly I was surprised when I started working at ARMA and found out just how common gout is. My background is I've got 20 years experience of working in health and social care policy, but particular experience of working in alliances. So one of the things I'm really passionate about is the way that if groups work together and speak with one voice, they have so much more power than if each of us tries to do it by ourselves. And that's really what Armour is about. Who are you speaking to and what are you telling them? Well, who we're speaking to is everyone who has an impact on the services and support to people who have musculoskeletal conditions. And, and what we're telling them is, musculoskeletal conditions are really common, really important, often misunderstood, and possibly given less priority than they should be. I'll bring out my little cynicism mode just a moment <laughs> yep. and if I said that the reason why alliances, chronic pain alliances, whoever need events like this is because there's one thing that really gets things done and that is the cost of a condition to the exchequer. Well certainly musculoskeletal conditions cost an enormous amount to the exchequer that's partly the cost to the NHS of treatment but it's also the cost of people who, with treatment, could be in work, but who are actually not in work because they're not getting the treatment that they need. And that actually costs the exchequer a lot in terms of lost tax revenue. But it's not just tax revenue. It's people who are in work, working below par, if you like, to companies. They're not fulfilling their jobs. There is a societal cost to all these conditions. Absolutely. There's a societal cost in terms of people who could contribute more to their companies and to the economy. There's also a societal cost in terms of people who maybe could be caring for grandchildren but are not able to. All the different ways that we contribute to society and to our communities are impaired if you have an untreated and unaddressed musculoskeletal condition. My name is Michael Snaith. I'm a retired rheumatologist. I was a research fellow and did a study on gout in the Kennedy Institute, and that was in 1969. Secondary gout is very much associated with lifestyle, so primary gout really has nothing very much to do with lifestyle, it's got more to do with genetics. You can get gout and be a slim, non-alcohol drinker, non-venison eater, and still get gout, okay? And then you'd say, why the hell have I got gout? Because I'm not a drinker or an eater. But secondary gout, is more likely to occur in people who overeat, overdrink, and are overweight, which is why, particularly nowadays with an aging population, we should be addressing the issue of lifestyle-induced gout rather than treating patients with gout with tablets. Very, very important to treat patients with gout with tablets, but it's equally important if they are overweight and have risk factors 
such as dietary excess, alcohol excess and weight excess, they should be encouraged along those lines as well as taking the tablets. It should be part of the government's approach to obesity. You know, corn syrup, for goodness sake, corn syrup, which is in American drinks, or was, induces high urate levels. These things occur, we know about them. It's a societal approach as much as anything. So the lifestyle issues, I mean, many of them are sort of well-known, you know, diet, keep your weight down, exercise, get your blood pressure down, this, that, the other. But are there things particularly associated with gout? Well, drinking beer is, is more important than drinking port by a long way in terms of the population. And weight, there are a few drug-induced causes, but the most important issue is with regard to body weight and intake of a combination of protein, offal particularly, meat proteins, and alcohol associated with weight. On top of that, there's still the existing relatively small proportion of patients who've got primary gout. They need treating with medication, and that medication needs to be kept up because if you don't treat the uric acid level and get it down, you will deposit crystals in lots of tissues, not just the joints, other tissues as well. So management of gout, it's multifactorial. You really have to address the issue of the uric acid level and the body in which that uric acid level is elevated. Now, when you did your research, your MD back in 1969, what were you focusing on? Well, focusing actually on a few interesting things like post-operative gout. There is an incident, still is, there was then even more, an incident of people who developed their gout having recovered from surgery. The reason for that is they get ketosis. Ketosis is when you start consuming fat because you're not getting enough calories in. You become acidotic and that retains urate at the kidney level. The second very interesting one is who gets gout, men or women? The answer is men. Why? What happens when a man becomes a man from being a boy? The answer is his uric acid goes up. So at puberty, a male's uric acid rises. It's not until the menopause that a female's uric acid rises. So throughout their pre-menopausal life, a woman has a lower uric acid than a man. So ask yourself the question, how would you do a study to demonstrate the difference between men and women in terms of their uric acid metabolism? You choose men who are about to take female hormones. So we took advantage of one of the first, if not the first, gender reassignment clinics in the United Kingdom and studied men who were about to start oestrogen in order to transgender. And that was in 1969. That was fascinating. And we showed quite clearly that if a man takes Stilbestrol, which is what they were giving in those days, his urate drops. I'm Lord Ramswatham and I'm a crossbench member of the House of Lords. I was a former soldier and then became inspector of prisons for a time. And you have gout. I have gout. I got gout in 1982 and my father had gout before me and he told me that he was leaving it to me and his grandfather, my grandfather, had said exactly the same thing to him. Luckily, my sons haven't got it. When did it first appear? I was 48. 
it appeared when I was visiting a headquarters in Ireland and I slipped on the banisters and, and slipped on the stairs and kicked my toe against the banisters and I thought I'd broken my toe went to the doctor and he just roared with laughter and he said that's gout and really that sums up why we're here today that gout is no laughing matter it, it's no laughing matter you know I mean I think that the sooner it gets known to be the most common form of arthritis and is treated as such I'm afraid there's still the image of the red-faced old colonel drinking port with his foot wrapped in red velvet you know it's got itself a bad name and I think it ought to be regarded as something to do with arthritis and it requires a disciplined approach to it. And recognised beyond the worlds of comedy. Absolutely. It's no laughing matter. Thanks very much again, Lords, ladies and gentlemen, for coming today. My name is Lindsay Conway. I run the Secretariat of the UK Gout Society. I just want to say a few words about our uh, small but perfectly formed charity. We were established in 2002. The charity was established by George Newkey and Dr Michael Snaith, who I'm delighted to see here today. You won't be surprised to hear given the incident, the growing prevalence of gout, that um, last year we had over a quarter of a million visitors to our website and 300,000 patient information sheets were actually downloaded. Yet gout still is misunderstood and undertreated. So what we'd like you to do today, and I think some of you already are, is to help us shout about gout, share your experiences of gout, demystify gout and the, the stigma that is attached to it, that it's a, an old men's disease who swill port and eat copious amounts of venison, which it is not, given the age of range of the people that are here today who suffer, and to follow us on Twitter by shouting about gout using the hashtag shoutaboutgout. So thank you very much again. Thank you, Jim, particularly for, for hosting this for us. Thank you very much indeed. For more details and advice on managing gout and the Shout About Gout campaign, go to the UK Gout Society website, which is UK Gout Society, no gaps there, ukgoutsociety.org. And, as always, I'll just remind you that whilst we, in pain concern, believe the information and opinions on airing pain are accurate and sound based on the best judgments available, you should always consult your health professional on any matter relating to your health and well-being. He or she is the only person who knows you, your circumstances and therefore the appropriate action to take on your behalf. And don't forget that you can download all editions of Airing Pain, both audio and transcripts, from Pain Concern's website, which is painconcern.org.uk. I leave you and the House of Commons with the words of Paul Webber and Alan Hughes. It's interesting today coming to talk with different people and Paul who said that he seems to think that it's stress-related as well, you know. I'm a, a full-time policeman, you know, I deal with road death mainly, you know, so my job is very, very stressful. So it could have something to do with it, maybe not, you know, I, I don't know, but, you know, it's, it's great to come to something like this where everyone can share their views and, and the feelings and the trips they've been on, you know, to see if there's any common ground there, you know, and maybe uh, this is... Uh, yeah, and I'm definitely going to try and cut out tomatoes, see if that has an effect. So you've established tomatoes has an effect on you. 
How do you manage it? Because you're in a full-time job, a stressful job, as you say. You're a police officer. Yeah, that's full-time, yeah, and, and family life as well. But um, it's just trying to get the balance right, you know. It's self-medicating on, uh, on the drugs that I've been given, you know, and being very, very choosy and picky on, on foods I eat, you know. Do I know in work that you have this condition? Yes, yeah, and I get mocked for it. Daily. Mocked for it Mocked because for it. it's an old man's disease. Absolutely, which yeah. is why we're here today to try and dispel that myth that you both started this in your mid-twenties. One of the things that I find particularly embarrassing, when I'm at work and I feel that twinkle in my toes, I can feel them tingling. And, you know, I know that I've got a couple of hours before the pain really, really starts to kick in. I work in Canary Wharf, I catch the tube, I catch the train and... Oh, then I have to walk. You know, if I'm in a situation where my toe's swelling up, I've got my shoes on, everything in my brain is telling me to take my shoes off. I know full well I can't take my shoes off because if I take my shoes off, I won't be able to get them back on. And I might not have a pair of trainers there, I might not have a pair of flip-flops there, and even if I have, try working in Canary Wharf and walking home in a suit and some flip-flops. You're going to be laughed at. And those are the things... Uh, affect me most about having gout. It's the embarrassment, it's having a gout attack at work, it's not being able to run around after my son. Now, if you were speaking to somebody in their mid-twenties, you started having gout in your mid-twenties, if you were speaking to somebody today starting that journey, what would you say to them? Speak to your GPs, tell them everything, and to gather as much information out of them as, as you can. You know, I think GPs aren't aware of, uh, of exactly the, the pain they're happy to, to give out the pain relief for the, the anti-inflammatories, so it's a simple quick fix for them. No, if you're suffering from it, you know, look up the symptoms online. You can do that, no problem with, uh, with the technology these days, but then speak to your local doctor and, and highlight the problem.